Welcome to Christ the King, especially if this is your first Sunday worshiping with us. My name is Peter Schwanda, and I serve as a pastoral associate here, and it's my privilege to look together with you at God's Word. This past week, I got an email with a not-so-thrilling invitation from a TV network inviting me to enjoy a vacation of streaming. They were inviting me to spend countless hours of my time indulging in all of the latest and greatest in TV entertainment. Well, I didn't take them up on that mass email invitation, but I did get to enjoy some vacation this last week with family in Maine. Mimi and I got to spend time with people we love at a small cabin on a lake. Time to make memories, be refreshed by the water, and a chance to step out of our normal world into a place where we are undistracted by technology and the consumption of other things. Now, technology brings us many good things, but mindless consumption of technology and material goods in our life can actually erode the virtues of the good life that God desires for us. And our sermon series this month takes a look at the values of this life, encouraging us to be intentional in the ways that we consume things, in the ways that we use technology, and to keep it in its proper place in our lives. And today we'll take a look at this parable of the rich fool, which has wisdom for us that life is about more than consumption. There is an ironic commercial, lest you think I am holier than thou and haven't spent plenty of time watching TV this summer, there's a commercial making the rounds with actor Mark Wahlberg. And in it, he proclaims that we, the TV-watching public of America, want all our rooms in our homes to be TV rooms. We want all of our devices to be TV devices. We want unlimited streaming. We want all our stuff just the way we want all our stuff. And while this might seem comical, perhaps you feel that twinge of guilt that I do, that sometimes we act like we want all the things that we want to consume just the way we want them. Today's parable is a bit of a reminder that life is about more than this attitude of consumption. And so we have the parable of the rich fool. Remember that parables, these short, direct teachings that Jesus gives, he shares with people not just so that they would know the information of a contextual situation, but that they would actually be transformed by the parable. And when people fail to understand, which we read that they do in the Gospels, it's because they've missed out on being transformed by the wisdom offered by Jesus. So in this parable of the rich fool, we have a brother who essentially has the same attitude that Mark Wahlberg does in the commercial, saying, give me what I want when I want it. I want the inheritance now. And Jesus tells him that real life consists in much more than the abundance of his possessions, much more than what he can consume and accumulate. And he illustrates this by telling a parable of a rich man whose farm produced abundantly, so much so that he had what we might call a good problem of having enough that his barns began to overflow. He was faced with a question. He asks, what shall I do? And whenever a parable asks a question, of somebody in the parable, it's a good signal to us as listeners that we should also be asking that same question. What do we do when we have an abundance of things? Now, given our country's obsession with storage, from self-storage units to storage of all your digital media in the cloud to shows on people who have hoarding problems, 
it might be wise for us to pay attention. We see that the man comes up with his grand plan that he'll simply build bigger barns so that he can securely consume all of his wealth and possessions for years to come. And we find in God's response in verse 20 the meaning of the parable. In light of God's coming kingdom, having an all-consuming attitude towards our possessions and the things we consume just doesn't make sense. Or, to put this punchline of the parable in the words of a country song, I've never seen a a hearse with a trailer hitch. You can't take your stuff with you. In the biblical sense, this man is called a fool, which is simply put, Bible speak, for somebody who lives their life without taking into account God's kingdom. And the desire, the intended response from this parable is that we would instead be rich towards God, that life is about more than consuming and accumulating. But what does rich towards God mean? That sounds awfully spiritual, awfully Christian-y. Simply put, I think it means that we're living our life according to the priorities of God's kingdom. And these priorities should impact not just the ways that we live our daily lives, but they should actually impact the ways that we consume, the ways that we use technology. If you look down at verse 15, it tells us one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. Life is about more than consuming, but frankly, we need some protection from ourselves in the ways that we consume. We need an antidote to the consumerism that is rampant in our world. Being rich towards God means considering how we are using our time, our talents, and our treasured resources in our world. In living in a consumerist age, we often inhale at quite a stunning rate the books, TV, internet, art, ideas, news, social media, everything that comes in front of us in mass quantities. And this consumption, it's more than just what we physically physically eat or drink, it's more than just what we spend our time on, it's more than just the goods and services that we use, it's more than just our information and entertainment consumption. But when it comes to our consumption, I think it is healthy for us to ask a few basic questions. And so I've outlined four, which are in the notes in your leaflet on page 11 at the back. These are four questions that I think are helpful for us to ask regarding our consumption. The first question regarding our consumption, is it communal or individual? The second, is it beneficial or wasteful? The third, is it lasting or fading? And the fourth, does it encourage presence or absence? So let's take a look at the first. Turn with me to Luke 12, beginning in verse 16. Let's look at this question of, is it communal or individual? We see for this man, in verse 16, that he isn't described as someone who's selfish or greedy, just rich. And in fact, we see that he's the recipient of blessing. Now, we could hardly say that this is his fault, but we can find fault in the way that he responds to having accumulated all of this wealth. Read with me in verse 17, and I think you'll see his relentless use of first-person pronouns. It says, He thought to himself, What shall I do? For I have nowhere to store my crops. And he said, I will do this. I will tear down my, my barns and build larger ones. And there I will store all my grain and my goods. 
And I will say to my, I, 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 me, me, my, my. He's turned into a bit of a me monster, worshiping at the altar of the unholy trinity, the me, myself, and I. And far from his thought is thinking about how he might use those goods that he has acquired and accumulated in order to benefit his neighbor because he's so focused on how he will consume them for himself. Our consumption of goods, even our consumption and use of technology, should show love for other people, should have a communal nature to them. Think about something that you either purchase regularly or consume consistently, whether it's a material good or or technology or a TV show. Is that something that actually draws you toward other people, or is it something that draws you away? The Bible is full of wisdom that we are to be with God's people as a family, that there's great benefit from being with people in relationship. And when we are isolated, whether it's behind the pages of a book, playing with our newest and shiniest toy, or mesmerized by the glow of a screen, that can actually erode the relationships we're meant to have. Perhaps you have seen uh, a one or two-year-old in the presence of a screen, whether it's a smartphone or an iPad or a TV in the room, and you can tell, even with the limited neck strength they probably have, that they're constantly craning and trying to see the bright lights and the sounds that are coming from that screen. I think if you've spent any time on the streets of D.C. lately, you'll find that adults aren't quite that different. See, it's hard to pay attention to those around us, whether it's families or neighbors or people in need, when we're so focused on a screen that's in front of us. Not to uh, say that this is from personal experience, but it's also hard not to run into things. (laughs) Now, not to be harsh on technology, there's many ways that technology can actually be used to benefit our relationships, to draw us to other people. There's ways that social media can be used to build relationships. Mimi and I have really enjoyed recently becoming godparents, and my brother's uh, twins, who are nearly three, live about 10 hours away. And so for us, the benefit of having video chat using Skype has been a real blessing in a way that we can build that relationship. I think for all of us, we should think about whether our consumption, especially of technology, is something that brings us together or isolates. I think we should also ask the second question, of whether our consumption is beneficial or wasteful. Look back at our passage in Luke. You see in verse 18 and 19 what the man's plans are for all that he's accumulated. It's going to simply sit in his barn. What benefit is it going to have just sitting there? Not much. The benefit will end with him. It's kind of a dead-end street. And if it's only benefiting him, it seems to be a bit of a waste all of this abundance and blessing from God just to be a dead-end street. Think about the barns that he's going to be be building and the resources that it takes to build those barns. I would think that those are also a waste. Quite simply, if something is beneficial, it has a blessing or a benefit, a good that's passed on to others. It's life-giving. When something overflows, it gives life to something else. And on the flip side, something that is wasteful is a dead end. It uses up a resource, it consumes something without actually having a purpose, without actually resulting 
in good. And when we consume, I think we should ask whether we are wasting the time, the talents, the treasured resources we've been given, or whether we're using them and consuming them in such a way that that benefit is passed on. You might be familiar with William Wilberforce, who is credited with helping abolish the slave trade in Britain. And what you might not know is that for the first decade or so of his public life, he essentially spent all of his wealth, all of his talents and treasures, indulging in all that he could consume in high society. And he looked back on those early years, and he thought, I've wasted years of my life. I've wasted all of this time, all of these God-given talents. But as God began to transform him, he instead saw ways that he could use his material resources, the connections and government relationships that he's built, all of these things that he had accumulated, he began to use for God's glory, fighting the injustice and social ills of his day. He used the creativity he'd been given to benefit others instead of just to fuel his own consumption. Now, two notes on consumption. The first is that there is a way that we might use our resources that on the surface seems wasteful, but is actually beneficial. Consider that God encourages us, even commands us, to take a Sabbath. We might think, well, spending one day a week doing nothing is a waste. But God actually desires that that wasting of time, that spending of time being refreshed by him would benefit us. Think of the parable of the prodigal son. Think about the ways that the father extravagantly lavishes on the son the benefits of his material wealth when he returns home. You might think, well, that's rather wasteful, especially to the son who demanded his inheritance and then went off and squandered it. But that waste, that extravagant use of resources, actually has an incredible benefit to the son who experiences the love of the father that he was meant to know. The second thing to note is that even if we are consuming or using a good thing, too much of a good thing can be a bad thing. One of my favorite verses in all of scriptures from Proverbs 25 where we, we receive this wise advice. If you find honey, eat just enough. Too much of it and you will vomit. Now that might not be quite your problem in the way that it is mine each morning as I have my toast, but I think that that's wise advice for us as we think about the ways that we consume whether it's stuff, whether it's technology, something might have a good intent and life-giving purpose, but if we consume too much of it, it actually takes life from us. As we think about our time, our talents, the treasured resources we have, it's important to think about the ways that we consume and use them and whether it's beneficial or wasteful. Maybe these are some helpful questions for you. Do you enjoy watching a TV show with friends or family? Or are you more likely to binge watch an entire Netflix season by yourself? Do you use social media to develop relationships or build friendships with those who are far off? Or do you instead mindlessly scroll through your news or your news feed until your eyes glaze over? I'm not asking for a show of hands. Do you use your talents and skills to create things that benefit others Or are you more likely to consume things that others have created and only for your benefit? 
Do you spend your resources on things that have a short lifespan instead of investing in things that will endure the test of time? On that note, let's turn to the third question regarding our consumption. I think it's important to ask whether it is lasting or fading. Turning back to the parable, we see that the man's fault isn't that he plans for his future. In fact, I think if the man indeed died that night and we were to write a modern obituary for him, he might be lauded as being a wise investor, one who planned for the future of his family, even provided for his children a life he never had. The problem isn't that he was planning or saving. The problem is that he thought that what he'd accumulated and consumed was going to last and that it would secure his future. I think if we're honest, we often put hope in similar things. Perhaps it's our bank account, perhaps it's our achievements or our resume, perhaps it's all the experiences and goods that we've acquired. This is the same attitude that the man in our reading from Ecclesiastes has. He's sought to consume experience, wisdom, pleasure. In all of it, he says, whatever my eyes desired, I did not keep from them. I think that that might be an apt indictment of our consumer culture. But the man in Ecclesiastes, similar to the man in the parable, is faced with the reality that chasing after the things of this life, consuming, whether it's goods or technology, is like chasing after the wind. All these things will wear out, the shiny new gadget or toy will fade, and rust and moth will eat the sweaters like they do in my closet. In our world of fast food and planned obsolescence where that fancy gadget you got is already out of fashion or out of use by next week, I find that I too often value things that don't last. Most things that we consume have a short lifespan. Think about your time spent at a computer. Just hit that refresh button and you'll find that you're bombarded with a whole new news cycle, a whole new slew of social media updates. Some social media apps like Snapchat are even designed so that their content will just disappear in moments. Much of what we consume has no lasting impact. There was a recent newspaper article whose headline summed up my point and perhaps made me feel a little guilty. It said, millennials are choosing pizza, push-ups, and video games over church. So kudos to you if you are a millennial here this morning. I'm glad you're here. On the flip side, Scripture commends that which is enduring. It commends the imperishable, eternal kingdom of God. But it also commends things that are enduring in this life. Think about the ways that Scripture commends relationships which endure during difficult times. The way that it commends meals that are meaningful, spent with other people. The ways that it commends us to care for the earth around us in ways that we steward its resources wisely. I mentioned that I was on vacation uh, in Maine this past week, and we got to stay in a log cabin that my grandfather built in the 40s. And next door, there's a couple other houses that were built in 1910. And you can imagine that many lakefront houses, as is the custom with valuable real estate, are torn down to build bigger and better, just like the man in the parable, with bells, whistles, and Wi-Fi. And I appreciate this time that we get to spend in this rustic cabin because I find 
whether it's the log walls, the vintage dishes, the long out of fashion curtains, I find that it teaches me to value things that last instead of things that fade. And I find that even though there's now Wi-Fi up at the cabin, I try not to turn it on because I find that instead, technology and my consumption of it distracts me from being present with the people that I'm with. Let's turn to the fourth and final question that I think is helpful to ask about our consumption and especially our use of technology. I think that we should ask, does it encourage presence or absence? See, for the man in our parable, we see that the goal of his storing up all of the abundance of his possessions was so that he could relax, eat, drink, and be merry. In essence, it was so that he could retreat from the cares of the world. And I think sometimes that we consume and accumulate to provide ourselves with a nice little buffer so that we can be absent and distanced from the world and from the people around us. Sometimes I think that the ways that we consume experiences, goods, technology, actually encourages us to withdraw. It encourages us to withdraw into that glow of a screen instead of encouraging us to be present with the people around us. Consider also our leisure time, whether it's a day off, a Sabbath, or it's vacation time. Do you spend that downtime in such a way that it's like an anesthetic, really just numbing you from all the cares of the world in the normal week? Or is it time where you're truly refreshed, truly re-energized to spend time with people? Introverts, I think you know what I'm talking about. It's valuable to have that time where we are able to rest and be refreshed, but ideally that would draw us back into presence with people. When we consume things in such a way that it causes us to be absent from people, anxiety and worry has a way of creeping in. There's been some interesting studies recently about the ways that smartphones and social media have increased the anxiety of our age. And I think you probably have sensed that in your own life. In Luke's gospel, right after Jesus tells this parable, he tells the disciples not to worry about the things that they think they need to consume, the things they'll wear, the things that they'll eat. And he gives the example of the birds of the air. He says that the ravens They have no storeroom, they have no barn like the man in the parable, but God provides for their every need. God feeds them, and God similarly desires to feed us with what we need to consume. He desires to refresh us with his presence. The words of Psalm 107 tell us that he desires to satisfy the longing soul, to fill the hungry soul with good things. It's not that God is against consumption. He just wants us to consume things which are good for us. He wants us to consume in such a way that it has a communal characteristic to it. He wants us to consume things which are beneficial, things which are lasting, things which encourage us to be present to each other and to God. And he wants us to know the true abundant life that Jesus offers the true abundance that he proclaims. Because in this, we find that true abundance is about more than consumption. 
And so in our service as we turn to celebrate communion, I invite you to think about this simple meal, a simple meal in which we consume bread and wine. I think that it illustrates the values of what it means for us to be rich towards God. We have a communal meal. We have one which provides us with beneficial spiritual nourishment. It celebrates the lasting and eternal nature of Christ's sacrifice for us. And it encourages us to be present with God here as we receive, and also to be present to others as we head out those doors and seek to give to the world around us. It is indeed at God's table that we find true abundance and find that life indeed and true abundance is about much more than consumption. Amen.